Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Good morning, church. How is everyone today? Good to see all of you. Welcome to those watching online. Uh, If you're visiting here, we just want to say welcome home. I'm Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here, and we could not be more delighted that you came to worship with us. Today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, so go ahead and turn there. As you turn there, I want to ask you, how many of you are traveling this Christmas? Have already or going to travel? All right. How many of you are going to be just be around? How many of you are doing a one-day trip somewhere? Tennessee, maybe. All right. So we have a spectrum. So, you know, as you travel, it's interesting. Holiday movies often have the travel scenes gone bad. And I got a few pictures of worst road trips ever in movies. Hopefully this will not happen to any of you. All right, let's see the next one. I could see this happening to me. Yes. All right, and then for those of you who have kids, are we there yet? And then you ever travel and all of a sudden the sudden snowstorm comes upon you and your windshield gets frozen so you have to drive like this, head out the window. How many have ever done that before? All right. So you're traveling and you go to the gas station and you have an encounter with the clerk and... You walk out like this. The clerk was having a bad day. Or, for those of you, how many truck drivers out there? You remember the show Dukes of Hazard? Well, this truck got a little flighty. <laughs> a little high. For those of you who like exotic getaways around mountainous turns, this is the worst case scenario. Some of you experienced that. Well, I had an interesting trip a few years ago. My, my daughters, and I had to get their permission now that they're getting older, but they were like three and five years old, and this is a picture of them several years back. And so my father-in-law, many of you knew John Talman, Jesus with the Lord, he was at the Cancer Center of Atlanta getting treatment. Uh, my mother-in-law was down there. So my wife was tied up with some of the other children, so it was just me and the two girls. And we went down to Atlanta. We had the, at the time, it was like this small uh, blue van. And uh, remember the stories, the doors would fall off, and it was a really junky van. But we were traveling And at that age, at three and five, especially with little girls, I don't know what it is, but they have to stop and do what every hour? Go to the bathroom, right? Some some of you remember those trips. So this particular trip, I got caught in Atlanta rush hour traffic. And it seemed like there were like eight lanes. Maybe I was exaggerating, but there were a ton of lanes. And we were on the speed lane. We wanted to get out. And all of a sudden, one of the girls, I can't remember which, is blocked out of my mind. But one of the girls, I got to go to the bathroom now. And I'm like, hold it. Give us 15 minutes, we're at like a standstill, but like it was an emergency. Like you gotta take me off now. So, I, I, back in the day, one time I drove through New York City, anybody ever done that? Times Square, and so I had to pull back my New York City driver, taxi driver hat, and I darted over like 16 lanes of traffic. It was more like six or four, but you know, 16 in my mind. And, uh, I, we got off the exit, and here's the problem. They don't, they don't give you this in parenting class, but when you're a guy and you have daughters, there's like no restrooms to go to at these gas stations. It's like men and women's. There's no like family restrooms. So I had to like take them into the men's room. And I'm like, okay, girls, close your eyes. 
We're walking by these certain sections. You guys know what I'm talking about. Close your eyes. And then you get into this horrible stall and it's horrible. You have to like, you know, lay toilet paper. I mean, it's like, and finally you get out, close your eyes again. And when I got back on the road, I decided this is never going to happen to me again. You ever been there? I was so traumatized just by the whole experience and stress. This will never happen to me again. So I went on Amazon when I got home and I bought a portable potty that goes in your van. No, don't judge me, okay? But I was like, I never want to have a road trip like this because it was it was traumatizing. So we no longer have the portable potty, but we did use it for a few years while until the kids grew up. So have you ever had a trip like that? Just a trip gone bad, stressful? Yeah, a lot of you have. Well, today we're going to talk about the wise men. And a lot of us don't realize, but they had a long, arduous trip. And it was not a short trip, like from here to Atlanta. It was... Many, many miles, as far as a thousand miles. And a lot of times you don't think about what they went through on the human side. You don't think about the crazy people that met along the way, the people that try to probably hijack and rob them. But today I'm going to take you on a journey. And what I want us to do is rediscover what it means to be a spiritual seeker of Jesus. Wise men and women still seek after him. So today we're going to be in Matthew 2. And again, welcome to those watching online. If you'll read the first 12 verses with me, and I want us to rediscover what it means to be forever seeking after Jesus, to never stop. So in verse 1, the scripture passage begins with, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired to them where the Christ was to be born. So, this is the chief priests and scribes, they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem, And the land of Judah are not least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now before we go to verse 7, I just want to pause there. Have you ever thought about how these religious leaders knew exactly where the Messiah was going to be born? They quoted the scripture, but they were not willing to take a six mile, seven mile walk to go see him. I mean, think about it. It's one thing to know the scriptures. It's another thing to apply the scriptures. At this church, we don't want to just make you like spiritually large-minded Christians. We want you to apply it. Because knowing the word is one thing, but applying it is another thing. They knew the word, but they didn't use the word to change their lives. So go into the next verse, verse 7. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for this young child. And when you have found him, bring word back to me, that I may come and worship him also. And as I read this, I see that like the oil salesman guy, you know, this sneaky, weird, eye-jerking, and I see like he, you know he's lying. And notice what it says next. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold... The star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. So pause there for a moment. How many two-year-old children have you ever desired to worship? I've had five two-year-olds. My youngest is currently two. I had never had one moment where I wanted to worship them. I mean, think about the human side. Jesus is God, right? But he's also a baby. I kind of every year say the song Away in the Manger. I want to rewrite the phrase where it says no crying he makes because he cried, all right? He is a real baby that cried. But they knew something about him from the scriptures. They knew and God had led them that this is going to be the coming king. This is going to be someone that I need to worship. So think about this, worshiping a two-year-old. Like that just mind boggles, but they, they knew that this was really God in the flesh. And it says that they opened their treasures. They presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray over God's word. Father, as we've read your word, we pray the Holy Spirit would illuminate to our minds the truth that we've read. And not just so that we can be informed, but so that we can be transformed. Not so that we could just know more about the Christmas story, but that we could apply the Christmas story to our daily spiritual lives. That we would be forever spiritual seekers of Jesus. That we would be a true seeker of Jesus and that we would go after him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, how many married couples are in here? Raise your hand if you're married. All right. Here's the thing about marriage. You ever notice, especially with the men, not all men, but most men, I don't want to stereotype, most men, when you're dating, well, wise, how often did he call you and talk on the phone before you're married? How long was the conversation? What about now? It's quiet in church. I hear crickets. So think about that, like sometimes men will say, well, I still love you, but we're just, you know, we know each other and one or two or three hour all night conversations are no longer necessary, right? Well, here's the thing. I I often say my wife's in the nursery watching, helping watch some of the kids. I often say I have a wife and a girlfriend. They're the same person, okay? I don't know. Because here's the thing. She's still my girlfriend because I'm still dating and pursuing her. I have a wife and a girlfriend. They're just the same person. But you be careful who you share that with because they're like, my pastor has a wife and a girl. It's the same person, but I still pursue her. And here's the thing with your spiritual life. A lot of times after you become a Christian, i.e. get saved, born again, you stop seeking. And here's the truth. God wants you to continue and forever be a spiritual seeker, meaning you go after God. Not that he's lost, but you go after knowing him. You go after learning more about him. You go after the mystery and the wonder that God is so big, you'll never fully be able to wrap your mind and arms around him. God is so powerful that you can never ascertain the measure of his power. And God is so loving that you can never swim to the bottom of the depths of the ocean of his love for you. That's how amazing God is. So today I want to give you five spiritual principles for the spiritual seeker. And this is not some new age seeker. This is not some I'm on a journey. This is like I'm going after Jesus. I'm going after him through the word and through the spirit. I'm going after God and I'm going to keep pursuing him forever. Not just on this side of eternity, but in heaven I'm going to be with him. And I'm going to be pursuing and worshiping 
Because here's the thing, God wants to be found by you. It says in the Old Testament that those who search after me and seek after me with all their hearts, God said, I will be found by you. He wants us to draw closer to him. So here's the first principle of the spiritual seeker. The first principle, a true seeker of Jesus, look back in verses 1 and 2, notice that they travel long distances to worship the true king. They travel long distances. No, first of all, we've got to see where Jesus was born. Someone tell me, where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem, right? The name Bethlehem means house of bread. House of bread. Do you ever find it fascinating that in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life? So get this. Christmas morning, the bread of life was born in the house of bread. The bread of life was born in the house of bread. So if you are spiritually starving this Christmas, I want to point you to the bread of life. He's the only one that can truly satisfy the soul that is spiritually starving. So they go long distances. Now, notice it says that wise men came from where? From the east. Now, if you look at your listening guide, there's a few snapshots. They are from the east. They followed this star. They were seekers of the truth. They were most likely influenced by the writings of Daniel who prophesied the coming Messiah. They were not kings. A lot of times we say we three kings, but according to biblical records and historical records, they most likely were not kings, but they were king makers. See, they were kind of like, according to John MacArthur, I like his take on it. They were kind of like the religious scientists of their day. A lot of times in our culture, we separate religion from science, right? Scientific people sometimes aren't religious, and those who are religious aren't scientific. At least they say, but that's not true. The two are together. Because here's the thing, the Creator created the world. And as you research the world, it points you back to the Creator. So they were the type of people that would study the stars. They would study what was happening And it was their quest for truth. Now, at this point, they had not yet discovered the truth, but they're on the pathway to truth. So they had traveled a long, long way. So you're like, how long? Well, most likely it was from the Persian kingdom. So some people will say Iraq, Iran, Persia. But think about the Persian kingdom. That's a long ways. Some people will say Babylon. So if it's Babylon, it's like 800 miles. If it's the Persian empire, it's as far as a thousand miles. Now, I'm wondering if while they were walking, they had that British song in their head, I would walk 500 miles, I would walk 500 more. Maybe that's where those guys stole that song from. I don't know, the wise men. So think about a thousand miles. So you go back to the scripture, the religious leaders were not willing to walk six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. But these spiritual seekers were willing to travel three to four months up to a thousand miles to worship Jesus. So I want to ask you, how far and how long are you willing to travel to go after God? True seekers pursue God. They go after God. I mean, it's not that God's lost, but it's that he wants you to have a relationship that's active and dynamic. He wants you to discover who he is. Second truth, true spiritual seekers don't get hindered by the people that we would call hypocrites along the way. So in verses 3 through 8, you have King Herod. This is Herod the Great. We have a picture of him. This is a little imagery of him. Herod the Great was this ruthless despot. This guy was so thirsty for power 
that he would do anything to get people out of his way. And he also was after pleasure. In fact, he had ten wives that we know of, married ten times. And the thing is, if you were a wife and you didn't satisfy him, guess what? You could die. King Herod killed one of his wives. He killed three of his sons. He killed his brother-in-law. He killed his uncle. Anyone that got in the way of his power, you were out of there. One of the historians of the day said it's safer to be Herod's pig than one of Herod's family members. Because if he didn't like you or he had a sneaking suspicion you were going to get his power, he would take you out. So with that historical background, it makes sense that when he hears of a new rival king, guess what he did? Let's kill all the children in Bethlehem two years and under according to the time of the star appeared. So that was King Herod. He was crazy. And what I want to encourage you with is that all of us have had times in our life where we have had people that have hurt us. People in authority. You think about it. They're coming to worship the king. And here you have the king of the Jews, supposedly the king of the Jews, at least by the government standpoint, by Rome. All of a sudden, he doesn't want them to really discover Jesus. He doesn't really want them, Jesus, to take his place. He wants them to admire him and not Jesus. So he has this evil plot to kill all the children, and that includes Jesus, to get rid of Jesus. So here's the thing. If you've ever been hurt by a parent, by a teacher, by a pastor, by someone that's in authority, sometimes they knew they hurt you, sometimes they didn't. How many of you have ever got an apology from them? Sometimes in life you never get apology. So what I want to do is I never want to minimize your pain or my pain. But sometimes we have to stand in the gap and represent, like, listen, the person that hurt you, they may have died. They may ne- never say they're sorry. So I want to say I'm sorry for everyone that's ever hurt you. I want you to be able to release that pain, release that hurt. Because here's the thing. There's going to be people that hurt you along the way. And what God wants you to do is remember these wise men. They were greatly misled by King Herod. He did not want them to meet Jesus, worship Jesus. And here's the thing. You will meet spiritual phonies along the way. You'll meet people that will hurt you. Sometime intentionally, unintentionally. But here's the takeaway I want you to get. Don't let anyone hold you hostage. Don't let anyone from the past hold you hostage. As long as you're holding on to hurt, guess what? You're a hostage. But what you need to do this Christmas is just let it go, release it, and let God do his thing. Because here's the thing. God's grace is brand new every day. His mercies are new every morning. So don't be living in yesterday's hurt When God said, today, I've got manna. Today, I've got fresh grace. Today, I've got something brand new for you. So learn the lesson from Herod that there will be people that hurt you along the way, but you don't get sidetracked. Number three, also, these wise men follow the light. Notice they follow the light that leads to the the true light. So if you want to be a spiritual seeker, look at verse 9. It says, when they heard the king, they departed. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them till it came and stood over the where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. So I want you to see how these wise men, they were st- students of the stars, right? And all of a sudden, God sent a star that got their attention, he sent a star. And here's, here's the Christmas gift. I want to give you an early Christmas gift for you. You ready for it? How many are ready for it? God 
knows exactly where you're at. And he knows how to speak your language. For the students of the stars, God sent a star to get their attention, right? God knows what's going to make your heart sing. He knows what's going to capture your attention. And he, he, knows how to, he knows how to get your, hey, listen, look at me. He knows how to do it. Moses was out and all of a sudden he sort of saw a burning bush. And God spoke to him from a burning bush. In the New Testament, we see fishermen fishing. How did God get their attention? They caught a lot of fish, right? So the amazing thing is God doesn't know just one language. He doesn't know just English or Spanish or French. He knows all the languages in the world. And he knows what's going to captivate and capture your heart. So one thing we can know about this Christmas is that God enters into time and space to speak your language. And I think that's so encouraging that he speaks my language. So here's a question that's asked. Well, how did the wise men, these magi, how did they know about a star? You ever wonder that? How did they know to follow a star? Well, look in Numbers 24, and we'll have this scripture pop up on the screen. They, if they studied the prophecies of the Old Testament, like Daniel and other passages like this in Numbers, they may have come across this. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distance. What does it say? A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. Now that's obviously prophesying the coming Messiah, but notice it says a star will rise up. So if they're, if they're studying the stars, they read the scripture and they read the writings of the Daniel about the 70 weeks and they put it all together, it's no wonder that they followed a star. And I wonder what they told their wives. Honey, I'm going to be gone for four months, maybe eight months. Is this a business trip? No. What are you doing? I see a star. <laughs> like, imagine telling your wife that conversation. That would be really hard, right? So, number four, the fourth truth to be a spiritual seeker is you must worship Jesus by laying down your earthly treasure because you found the greatest treasure. So look at verse 11. It says, when they had come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. Notice they didn't worship Mary. They didn't worship anyone else but Jesus. And when they'd opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So here's the takeaway from that. Once you've discovered eternal treasure, nothing of earthly means matters anymore. It's all, as Paul said, it's all rubbish compared to the glory and excellency of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. So here's the thing. They presented gold. Someone tell me, what does gold represent? Royalty, right? They presented because somehow we don't, we're not told. All we can do is some inference, and I call it sanctified speculation. We don't know, but somehow they knew that this was the king of the Jews. Somehow they knew that this was the coming king. And Jesus was born so that he could be king of kings. He was king of kings and lord of lords. So that's gold. Jesus' royalty. All right. So let's talk about frankincense. What does that represent? What is frankincense? It's a fragrance offered by who? A priest, right. And it was used in worship. So that points us that not only is Jesus the king of all, but he's a royal high priest. And he's also God. I mean, think about why would these guys worship a two-year-old? They somehow knew, God somehow revealed, this wasn't just the king, but this was also God. And then the most unique gift was myrrh. Does anybody know what myrrh was for? 
Embalming dead bodies, right. So think about this. How would you feel, for those of you who have kids or plan on having kids, or for your grandkids, if in your baby shower someone gave you a death certificate, like burial plot, they're like, this is when your child dies, I'm going to give you, here's your grave plot, here's the money to bury. I mean, that would be so weird. I'd be, I would tell Lori, that person's a creeper. We're going to block them on Facebook. They ain't coming back to her, see her kids. I mean, that would be so weird, right? But somehow they have this sense that Jesus had come for a particular reason. What was that reason? Maybe they didn't know the full ramifications, but Jesus came on a death mission. He came so that he could die for our sins. So that brings the question, okay, they opened up their treasures and gave gifts to Jesus. What can I give Jesus for his birthday? You ever ask that question? It's Jesus' birthday. What can I give him? He doesn't want your money because he owns it all. What about my knowledge? What about giving him my mind? Well, he knows it all. What about my creativity? Well, he's creator of it all. All those things are good, but he doesn't need that, right? He can use that, but he doesn't need anything. So what does Jesus desire, even though he needs nothing? He wants you. He wants more of you. And this Christmas, the theme is, if you'll give more of yourself to Jesus than ever before, this will be your best Christmas ever. Not your happiest Christmas, not that you're going to get the most presents or be the most excited or have the best parties. But from heaven's perspective, from eternity's eye, if you give more of yourself to Jesus than ever before, it will be your best Christmas ever. Amen. Finally, what does a true seeker do? Number five, a true seeker listens to God and obeys the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So look at verse 12. It says, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their country another way. Have you ever noticed that whenever you meet Jesus, you can't go back the same way you came? You always go back another way after you meet Jesus. But notice that these guys that were students of the stars and dreams and whatnot, notice how God spoke to them. He sent a star and he sent a dream. And that's what they would be into, stars and dreams and interpretations and whatnot. So here's the application for a Christian today. The Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you. And you're like, well, how, do, how does that happen? How many of you have ever studied experiencing God before? Henry Blackaby. Some of you are doing it now. I'm going to give you some modern day Henry Blackaby stuff. But the first way is through the Bible. That God has given us a book, 66 books. That's one author. And it's written by approximately 40 different authors over a course of like 1,500 years. I think it was like three different continents, if I remember correctly. They didn't have email or text or Instagram or Facebook to coordinate. But they wrote about the most controversial topics like origin of man and life and death and spiritual things. And yet, they didn't contradict each other. And that's one of the reasons why we know the Bible is inspired. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired of God. So here's the idea. The Bible is our ultimate source of authority. We're under it. And at this church, we believe in all of it. We don't water it down. We don't try to politically correct say it. We just tell you the Bible in love. But then there's prayer in the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. If you look at John 16.13, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into what? All truth. One of the greatest tragedies in today's American church, at least, 
is that some churches have divorced the word from the spirit. And whenever you're all word but no spirit, if you ever notice, it's like, where's God at? I mean, I believe the word, but it's like, where, where's God? On the other extreme, how many of you have been in all spirit churches and low word? And it's like, man, everyone's yelling and shouting. And, but where's the Bible at? Listen, we cannot divorce the word from the spirit. At this church, we want the two to be together. Because the spirit speaks through the word. And God uses the word to lead us and guide us. And the spirit will never contradict the word. So there's not a divorce between the spirit and the word. They're together. And then you have circumstances. Okay, God speaks through the Bible. He speaks through the Holy Spirit in prayer. But what about circumstances? Have you ever noticed that sometimes God shuts a door? And sometimes God opens a door? And sometimes God doesn't give you peace to walk through a door? There's a lot of singles in this room. And some of you have dated someone for like three months and they turn into be a loser. And you're like, that was a closed door, right? Some of the singles are shaking their head. And it's like, there's a reason why some doors shut, some doors open. Because God has a plan. And then you have devoted disciples. These are believers who are going after Jesus with you, that are listening to the Spirit, that are reading the Word. And you know what? They can give you some wise counsel. The Bible says, and my mom quoted this all my life, in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. So here's the thing. If you you bring that all together, how does God speak? There's so many ways. The Bible is the main authoritative source that we filter everything through, but using the Bible... We listen to the Spirit. We listen to other brothers and sisters who are devoted. We, we, we see open and closed doors and we get a sense of peace or lack thereof. So God spoke to these wise men and they went after Jesus and they, Jesus led them to the truth. So it brings up a question as we close that people ask, what about those who have never heard? You ever had that? What about those who have never heard? Someone in the far jungles of Africa or the Amazon rainforest. They've never had the Bible. They don't know. How many have ever been asked that question? Did you know that the Bible says creation itself is proclaiming there's a creator? It's in the, I think it's Psalms 14, if I remember correctly. And in Romans chapter 1 and 2, it says God's given us creation and conscience, knowing right from wrong. And here's the general principle. If you follow the general revelation, it leads to special revelation. So if a person has never heard, think about these wise men, they didn't know fully about God. They had maybe some prophetic writings, but they didn't know really who he was. But God sent a general revelation of a star. They followed that, and where did that lead them? To Jesus. Take Cornelius in the New Testament. He was a God-fearer, but he wasn't saved. He wasn't born again. God sent an angel. The angel said, go find who? Go get Peter, right? So he went and got Peter, Peter came, Peter preached, and what happened to Cornelius? He got saved. So here's the principle. For the person in Timbuktu that's never heard the gospel, God is throwing glimpses of himself throughout the whole world. And if they will respond to the light that God gives, it will eventually lead to Christ. They have to accept Christ. There's no way to God apart from Christ. But God is so big, he speaks the language of every person in the world so that we are without excuse. Amen. So let's summarize this. Let's review. For those of you who want to go after Jesus, five truths. You have to be willing to travel long distances. I would walk 500 miles. I would walk 500 more. Just just go after it. You have to be willing not to get hijacked by the hypocrites along the way. And again, I'm sorry for anyone that's ever hurt you. 
Sometimes they didn't know about it. Sometimes it was a mistake, miscommunication. But listen, God never wants you to stay hostage in the past. He's got brand new grace today. He's got mercies that are new. And they follow the light that God gives. And guess what? That light eventually leads toward the true light, which is Jesus. They lay down their treasures because things that are temporary are nothing compared to things that are eternal. And then finally, they listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That all of a sudden God warned them and they departed another way. After you've met Jesus, you can't go back the same way you came. All right, for those of you who have ADHD and you forgot what I just said, just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Get to the point. Let's throw it up one, one summary sentence. A true seeker is willing to do what? Go the distance to discover and delight in Jesus as true king. That's what it's all about. Like they, they went the true distance. So here's the thing. Whereas the religious leaders weren't willing to travel six miles, they went up to a thousand miles. How far and how long are you willing to go to go after Jesus? That's your question. So here's three ways to apply it. They're like, to me, this is hard to wrap my brain around. People from Persia, a thousand miles. What about me in 2022 or listening in the future? How do I apply this? I'm glad you're asking that question. The first one is worship. If you really value Jesus as a spiritual seeker, go after him with worship. Worship needs to be the central part of your life. You ever notice that some towns used to build the church in the middle of everything? Like worship was a centerpiece. I think we've got to get back to making worship the center of all we do. The second is giving. As I said, Jesus doesn't need your money. He owns it all. He doesn't need your mind. He knows it all. He doesn't need your creativity. He's the Lord of all. But he could use those things. But the greatest gift he wants is yourself. Making yourself as a living sacrifice. And finally, seeking. I gave the the joke to the husbands. Some of you are going to talk to your wife more today than ever before. But after you just got saved, don't lose that passion. Don't lose that zest. God says, I will be found by you. If you will seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. So let us forever be spiritual seekers. And let us realize that if you give yourself to Jesus more than ever before, this will be, what? Your best Christmas ever. Let's pray. Father, it's a lot of verses to wrap our minds around. But the one thing we want to seek is you. That you desire worshipers, as John 4 tells us. You desire worshipers, worshipers who will worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, I want to pray for each person that's, that considers themselves a believer. That maybe they, they've not been as passionate as they used to be. Maybe they're not as close to you as they once were. And right now in this sacred moment, that they would just say, God, draw me closer. God, draw me nearer. God, help me to surrender more of myself and give you all of myself. As the believers pray and do business with God right at where you're at, there may be one here today that you've never been to base one. You've never asked God to save you. Yes, it's good to be a spiritual seeker, but in order to seek God, you have to open your heart to him. You have to say, God, I surrender. So if you've never invited Jesus to save you, the Bible calls it being born again. It's really simple. It's childlike faith, believing the gospel that Jesus lived the perfect life. He died on the cross on your behalf and in your place. And then the third day he rose victoriously from the grave. So that if you believe that and you place your faith in Christ alone 
and you ask for forgiveness of your sins, as you turn to him, you can pray this prayer wherever you're at, listening here, online. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So right where you're at, if you've never asked Jesus to save you, just say this prayer. Say, dear God, I confess that I need you. And right now, Jesus, I ask you to save me. You are the Savior. You are the Messiah. I do believe you died and rose again. And Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I want to open myself up to you. I ask that you would take away my sin. Please forgive me. And I choose to follow you from this day forward. With no one looking around, did anyone pray that prayer? Just slip up your hand. No one looking around but me. Anyone pray that prayer? I see that hand. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else pray that prayer? Father, you see the ones that received you. I pray today they would continue to follow you for the rest of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. This time if you'll stand. This is our response time. If you have an offering to bring, we've got boxes all over the church. You can bring it during this time. We give back to the Lord through our giving. If you need prayer, we're going to have some prayer warriors around. Uh, Christy's going to be up the front along with Amy. And I'm going to be in around. If you need prayer, we're going to be right up here at the front to pray for you. If you uh, have one prayer request, you can write that down also at the tables. The Lord's Supper is at both tables. I want you guys just to respond as the Spirit leads. So as the, as the worship team leads us in this song, this is your response time. The invitation is open.